Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Good morning. The first one is always so weak. Good morning. There we go. Thanks for coming on this crazy morning. As you can tell, the question that we're asking today is, who do you think Jesus is? I'm going to ask my friend Henry Sheets to come up. Give Henry a hand as he walks up here. <laughs> Henry, not everybody knows who you are, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm 12 years old. Um, I'm in homeschooled, and I'm in sixth grade. Um, I have two brothers. Um, I, um, I like to um, play with my brothers, um, play outside, um, read books, um, study God's word, um, work on my model railroad, two of them actually. Um, I like, and I like um, to um, play inside also, and that's about it. So I know you got baptized a couple months ago. A lot of us were able to witness that. Tell us about, like, how did you end up being baptized? What did that mean to you? Well, um, what baptism means to me is that it's a symbol of cleansing, um, Jesus cleansing us, like going down in the water. Like, you get dunked under the water, and you get risen up new, cleansed of your sins. And... That's what um, I think baptism um, means to me. And um, when I felt when I was baptized, um, why I decided to get baptized was that um, I just felt that this was this is the next step in faith, and that Jesus wanted wants us to do this. And Jesus Himself was baptized, and He provided an example. And I want to follow that example and be baptized. And I wanted to be baptized and um, it's like a declo- it's like I'm declaring Jesus is my Lord, and that's what I wanted to declare, and that's why I want everyone to see that I love Jesus and I believe in Him. Amen. So we we just saw that video, and at the end of the video, that was a, a picture of you with Sam Fiore in downtown Clinton. So tell us what were you doing in downtown Clinton? Well, um, first we met up at this church, and we put together these little packages right here. You can see that. Um, They contain three things. The Gospel of John, a little kid's salvation poem book in the middle, and then this is Gospel of John, and this is the salvation poem in the middle, and then there's an invitation to um, Southridge Christmas Eve services right here. And then um, we prayed over them. Mr. Fiore, who's a missionary in Italy um, and a friend of our family, um, told us a little bit about what the missions is like in Italy. And then we went out to Clinton and passed these out on the sidewalks, in shops. Um, We just walked around and in them out and asked, would you like one? Some people said no. Some people said yes. And... Then um, we, we were with the 
Mr. and Mrs. Franklin, my family, um, and Mr. Fiore. Um, so we made about 100 of these. Um, I think we passed out most of them, maybe 90 or so. And we passed out so many that like, we'd ask someone, would you like one? And they were like, I already have one. Mm. So that's just proves how successful it was. So were you nervous at all? Um, yeah, a little bit. Like, um, it was a bit hard asking, would you like one? Like, it, it was a little bit hard thing for me to ask, like, would you like one? And um, it can be a little hard, um, like, if someone says no, but Mr. Fiore said, don't take it personally. So you just, I just didn't take it personally. And I was just like, okay. And then you, I just kind of put a big smile on my face. And I um, was like, would you like one with a lot of enthusiasm? And so, and if you put, and I put a lot of effort into it, which brought lots of success. So did you learn anything about the difference between men and women? <laughs> Very funny. Um, so, so um, in terms of accepting um, the word of God, the as I said, um, the women were more accepting. Hmm. I'm not. I'm not saying that because men are men, but just hmm. because. Just it's not because I want to put you guys down, you're men, <laughs> but it's because I want. So um, I just saw that in Clinton that like um, the men sometimes were a couple men said no. I didn't really get too much like I most I feel like almost everyone said yes to me. So like and like the men might have like the women put more were more enthusiastic. I'm not sure if that's because maybe they had already heard the word of God or something, but. It could have been a lot of people had already heard the word of God. I'm not really sure. No one was like, I've, I already know about God or anything like that. But um, so, yeah, we so that's the difference there. The men were a little less accepting, a little bit like gruff, I'd say. Hmm. So anything you want to share with us? Anything else you want to share with us? Well, um, Mr. Fiore told, told us that Satan... Do, wants us to think that people don't want to hear the word of God and actually it's the opposite that people do want to hear the word of God so that it, and I found it very true in Clinton that lots of people wanted to hear the word of God and it was lots of people were open to it and also um, we I it, for me it took a lot of courage like I mentioned and it, I passed out to a couple people, and, and Mr. Fury, he it was great that he could come with us. He's a very gifted evangelist, and he, and I feel like that's one of my gifts, um, evangelism. And like, I love to share the word of God. I'll share it to friends, family. I just want to share it to anyone who hasn't heard about it. And um, yeah, that's basically all I have to say today. <laughs> you, can't, you can't leave yet. You have to read. Before you read, you're going to read Mark chapter 6, remember? I don't think I need to preach, right? Brent.
Franklin also went on that trip, right? And George went on that trip, and Steve and your mom, or Mr. and Mr., your mom and dad. So he's going to read Mark chapter 6. So our verses for today, Mark 6, 1 to 6, if you want to turn to it, or he'll just read. Mark 6, verse 1 through 6, a prophet without honor. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked him. Um, What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simeon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much um, just for Henry. Thank you for uh, just his faith. Thank you for his boldness. Thank you for the confidence that you've given. Just pray for protection over him. Pray you'll continue to encourage him and strengthen him. God, we just pray for all the young people in this church. God, we just pray for uh, young people, middle-aged, old people. We pray for everyone that's here, God. We just pray that you'll ignite us, God, with the fire uh, that comes with an excitement for just living for you and loving you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your story. God, we thank you that you are the Son of God. And God, we just pray that you watch over the next couple of minutes together. God, just that your spirit will be among us, God, and only your spirit will speak to us in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's give him a big hand. Yeah. <clears throat> There's like a lot there. <clears throat> If you saw that picture of Sam Fiore, Sam's 80 years old, right? So what do people do when they're 80? They retire, they move to Florida, they take it easy, play golf. Sam Fiore is fully engaged in ministry. And even more than that, like, he wanted to mentor Henry. He wanted to walk with Henry and George downtown and talk to him about how to talk to people about Jesus, encourage him on how to do that. Like, there's, there's so much for us to learn from that, like, what it means to mentor, what it means to care for people that are younger in the faith or whatever. And I think most of us would say, well, Henry, maybe a little deeper in the faith than a lot of us. Like, that's just the, the confidence and the way that he's expressed himself is incredible. So, but it's a, it's a lesson to all of us that's to encourage our young people, to encourage each one of us to be bold in, in, in who we are and bold about talking about about Jesus. You know, the story we're reading today is Mark chapter 6. It's a story of Jesus went home. Went to his hometown. Have you ever been to your hometown? I'm from Cranford, New Jersey. I go back every once in a while to Cranford. It's kind of interesting when you go home, right? When you go home, sometimes I go home to where I grew up, the church I grew up in. I get super emotional when I go back because, like, that's where I came from. That's the people that influenced me. So Jesus comes home. In fact, this is the second time Jesus came home. He came home like a couple months earlier, six months earlier. And if you remember, he went to the tabernacle, the synagogue, and he read from Isaiah. And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled. And the people in the synagogue were ticked. And they ran him out of town, and they wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him. And Jesus somehow walked right through them away. Second time he comes is what we see in Mark chapter 6. What happens? People are like, who is this guy? 
Wait a second, this, this is the carpenter's son. This is, this is the guy that we knew. He can't be the Messiah. I, got, I, I grew up with him. I, I knew him. We, we played together. We did stuff together. You're telling me that he's the son of God? And it, it actually says that they were offended by Jesus, that Jesus thought he was the Messiah. Who do you think Jesus is? Most important question that'll ever be answered for all of us. Even those that know Jesus, we need to answer that. If we're honest, we need to answer that question every day. Who do I believe that Jesus is? There's a couple things I see, see from the story that I think we can learn from. And the first is this, is that Jesus was one of us. You understand that? Jesus was a human being. Jesus was Henry's age at one time. Jesus was a baby. Jesus had a job. Jesus had interactions with people. Jesus was one of us. You know, it's interesting when, when you at interview like people in New York City, like, who do you think Jesus is? And, and the vast majority of people say, well, Jesus was a good man. He was a moral teacher. He had a lot of good stuff to say. He was love, all that kind of stuff, right? That's the interpretation that the world quite often has of Jesus. Those of us that are Christians, sometimes we don't have the, enough of a view of Jesus as a human. We see him as he's God, he's the son of God, but we forget that Jesus was one of us. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that like the first, there was a first Adam, the first Adam was, was the God's creation, right? And, and Adam sinned, and Adam was made from the dust of the earth. And because of Adam's sin, every single person that's ever been born, because we're all descendants of Adam, we're born with a sinful nature. We're born into sin. And like if I was God, if most of us were God, we wouldn't do it the way that God did it, but God decided that to solve the issue, we need a second Adam. So Mary's this 15-year-old, maybe 16-year-old poor girl in a town. And the great angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to be with child. And Mary says, well, what are you talking about? I, I, I'm not with a man. I'm not married. I'm, I'm engaged. We, have, we haven't had sex. Nothing. Had, what are you talking about? And Gabriel says, with God, nothing's impossible. So God implanted a seed into Mary. So Jesus became the second Adam, not born from dust, not with a sinful nature, pure unadulterated, son of God, became man. Like sometimes we have this vision like, well, it's all about like I want to get saved and I want to go to heaven, right? Like I don't want to endure the rest of this world. Like I, I just, I, life is hard, right? But God wants us to live. And actually he showed us an example because Jesus didn't come, Jesus came and he died on the cross but Jesus lived for 33 years. The last three years is what we read about in the Gospels, but for 30 years, we don't read a lot about it, but Jesus was, was a man, and he lived, and he worked, interacted with people. Whether he was a carpenter or an artisan or whatever he was, you know, he hit his hand and, with a hammer. Like he had people reject him. He was tempted just like we are. Like, sometimes we don't really, truly understand that, that Jesus, the Son of God, was one of us. 
And it wasn't an accident. Nothing that God does is accidental. It was on purpose. God purposely showed us how we can live. Because he's one of us, it says in Hebrews chapter 2, for this reason he had to be made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus says, when you're struggling, come to me. I know where you are. I know where you've been. I know what you've been through. I've struggled through all those things. There's nothing that's new under the sun. Nothing that you endure is something that Jesus didn't endure as a human being. And he says, come to me. Cast your burdens upon me. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. We can confidently go to God. I'm a sinner. I've struggled. I've felt a temptation. All the things that we struggle with. We can go to the Jesus Christ, the Son of God who was one of us, and go with confidence knowing that he knows where we're at. I don't know that we've ever really fully grasped that. One day we will when we see Jesus with his hands, the nail prints in his hands, and he's with us. He's one of us. He identifies with us. Jesus was one of us. Second thing is that your life matters. Your life matters. Again, Jesus came not just to die on a cross. He lived for 33 years, not accidentally. And he lived, and his life mattered. Your life matters. It's not accidental. It's not an accident that you're here. We sang that song. May the favor of the Lord rest upon us. Lord, establish the work of our hands. Like, why are we here? Why are we here? Why do we have a job? Chris, you're like a software dude, right? Ron fixes bodies. You make fudge. You do floors. You talk to people about Jesus. Like all of us have something that we do. Why do we do it? Is it just random? Does it mean anything? Are we just doing it so we get retired, so we can get money in the bank, so we can send our kids to college? Like why do we work? Why are we here? It's amazing. Like, we think that work happened after the fall, right? After the fall, God told Adam and Eve, like, well, from now on, it's going to be hard to grow, take care of the crops. And for women, it's going to be very difficult to give birth, like, because of sin. But if you go back to the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, God said, I made the heavens and the earth, and I put you in the garden. And I gave you these things so you can cultivate them and take care of them. It's your responsibility before the fall. God says, I made you to work. I don't know what any of you guys all do. We've mentioned some of them. Some of them, I don't know what you do. Some of you are moms. Some of you are, are blue-collar workers, hourly workers. Some of you are making coffee. Some of you are executives. Whatever it may be, we all are doing stuff, and your life matters. Like, it's not an accident. 
You're there for a reason, and your life is precious to God. And we need to make it precious to us. Like we sang that song, and that comes from Psalm chapter 90. Just going to read some of those verses from Psalm chapter 90. Our days may come to 70 years or 80, or it used to be three score and 10 in the old King James. So I'm 64. That means at best I got 16 years left, right? If, I, if life is good, right? For strength endures, yet the best of them is but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. For as many years as we have seen trouble, may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Establish the work of our hands. I, I'm in sales. So I call on people, right? And most people that I talk to hate their jobs, hate their wives, hate their life, can't wait till Friday comes, like can't wait till they retire. Like everyone's always like going like that. Like that's what we're shooting for. God says, your day matters. Like whatever you do, it's a calling. You say, well, only, only missionaries get called or pastors. No. God has created you in a unique way, in a special way, and God desires to use you, and your life matters. And God wants you to treasure every minute, every second of the day that you're in. I've referenced a couple times in sales. Hopefully I don't fall off here. But... Um, there's two stories I always use in, in, in sales, and they both, while they're maybe secularly oriented or whatever, they have a lot of applications, I think, to our lives. Like, so I, I, I'm from here. Um, like Lee, I'm a giant fan, Ranger, Nick, all that stuff. I'm a New York guy. Even though our pastor and some others here are Eagle fans, I'm a giant fan, right? So I went to school in Chicago. Chicago has a team called the Bears. And in the late 70s, the Giants were horrible, and the Bears were horrible. But the Bears had a guy named Walter Payton. And if you look today, even today, it's the, it's a cert, the Man of the Year Award in the NFL is, awarded, is a, called the Walter Payton Award because not only was he a great player, but he was a great man. He actually was a believer. Um, and he died at a very young age. And he played when the Bears were horrible. And he would either run people over or he'd run 100 miles back and forth to go four yards. He was amazing to watch. I loved watching Walter Payton. At his funeral, his brother talked about it. The people used to ask him, Walter, how do you, your team was horrible. You win like two or three games. Like at the end of his career, he did win a Super Bowl in 86. But most of your life, your team was horrible. How did you play the game? He played in Soldier Field, which seats like 100,000 people. He said, I always imagined that in the top row, there was a dad that didn't have any money kind of saved up all the money that he had to bring his son to a football game because his son wanted to watch the Bears. Saved his money for two years, and he was up there on the top row watching me play football. So when I played football, I played for that man and his dad on the top row. Like, how do you live? What do you look like when nobody's watching? God's always watching us. But what do you like when nobody's watching? How do you live your life?
Another guy named, named Jim Valvano. Jim Valvano was a coach of North Carolina State. He's a Rutgers Jersey guy, so you kind of like him a lot, but he won the national championship with North Carolina State, like, I don't know, late 70s, early 80s, and it's a very famous picture. He's running all over the court like that. And uh, Jim Valvano had a lot of Jersey guy, a lot of personality, right? But he had, he had cancer at a young age, and he died very young. Just before he died, ESPN just started this thing called the ESPYs, and he got the Arthur Ashe Award, and so they wanted him to come speak. And it's the most powerful speech you'll ever hear in your entire life. Just check it out if you've never heard it. Jim, Jimmy V. ESPYs. Dick Vitale and, and Mike Krzyzewski, these famous guys, they brought him there, and they said, we didn't think that he was going to be able to get up and to be able to speak. He barely got up the stairs to get there. Once he got to the lectern, he talked. He literally died days after his speech. But he talked about, like, this is how I live my life. Every day I need to, I need to laugh every day. I need to think every day. I need to cry every day. If I do that, that's a good day. I need to have a goal. I need to know where I'm going. I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. And whatever I do, I do with enthusiasm, quoting Ralph Waldo Emerson. Everything we do, we need to do with enthusiasm. Here's a guy that's going to die in a couple days, and he's talking about having goals, having objectives, living victoriously, no matter what happens. His famous saying is, never give up, never give up, never give up. Like, if your life, understand that your life is not something you endure. Your job is not something that you just make it through the day. Like, God has you there for a reason, and God wants to use you. There's something that's going to happen, and don't miss it if you're just looking for the future. Enjoy and understand that your life matters. I love worship stuff, and Shane and Shane is my favorite, and they take verses from the Bible, and they make it into song. And so, I'm telling you a lot of things to watch, but if you just check out... Uh, Shane and Shane, though he slay me. Take him from the story of Job. And the chorus, and it's interspersed with, with a, a speech from John Piper, a famous pastor. It says, though you slay me, still I will praise you. Though you take from me, still I will bless your name. Though you ruin me, still I will worship. Sing a song to the only one that matters. John Piper, in the middle of that, He's like yelling in his speech, like a two-minute speech is so powerful. And he talks about like every millisecond of your life counts. And he's talking the context of suffering, the context of hard times, the context of losing a child, the context of losing a parent, the context of losing a job or facing slander or all the things that happen that we feel like we're beaten down. And yet he says every second of your life matters because God is shaping you into the man and the woman that he wants you to be. And we need more men that are ready to do that, as Henry shared. We have a lot of women to do it. We need a lot of men doing that as well. But God is shaping us to who we're going to be now and in eternity. Your life matters. It's easy to say those things and then you kind of face it yourself, right? So like, Three months ago, my wife was away. We all were kind of away, different places, and she was at this trip in Canada. She comes back, she's not feeling good. So they send her to, an emergency, to a doctor, sends her to the emergency room. She ends up being in a hospital for 13 days. Still to this day, they don't really know what happened. It was a bacterial infection. But I'm, we're walking, every night we're walking around, she's got an IV 
and as we walk around the hospital, I'm like, wow, this is like a fresh reminder of like what life is about. And, and so day seven, doctor comes in. Um, I was a little judgmental, just admitting. The doctor walks in, he has long hair, it's all greasy, looks like he just got out of bed, didn't take a shower, put sweatpants on, comes in to talk to us about um, my wife. And he basically says, like, we, we don't know what's going on. Can't figure it out. So I'm like, what? I mean, this is day seven. Like, maybe we need another opinion. Maybe we need to ask somebody else, like, what, you know, this is America. Like, we can solve this problem right away. Like, I'm so impatient. He leaves my wife, who honestly, the whole time she was there, whole time she's in the hospital, she's talking, she's taking notes and learning about what God's teaching her and why she's there and who she can talk to and what is God teaching me in this moment? It's not an accident that we're here. God has me here for a purpose. And so she looked at me in the eye and said, so Dan, what are you learning from this experience? Like, wow, I'm learning. I'm a pretty impatient guy who likes his doctors that dress up pretty well. <laughs> it was a fresh reminder, right, to myself that we have this perception, like if things are really well, then I love God, and it's not really that way, right? God is the same no matter what happens in my life. And many times it's the hard times in our life, the difficult times, the times of suffering that shape us to be the people that we're supposed to be. Jesus is one of us. Your life matters, and the third thing is faith, faith matters. It's a scary passage where Jesus said he was amazed at their lack of faith. And he couldn't do very many miracles because of that. I've known Jesus for a long time. And um, sometimes those of us that have been Christians for a long time, it's easy to get cynical. It's easy to just think I have all the answers or think you know it. Instead of just really trusting like a child. Jesus talked about having faith like a child. Like our brother Henry got up here and shared his faith as a child. God calls all of us to have faith like a child, just to believe, to trust. Gabriel told, told Mary, look, here's how it's going to happen. And she believed. She believed that she was going to get pregnant from the Spirit of God putting a seed in her body. Like, that is crazy belief to believe that. Never happened ever. Never happened again. She believed it. Henry believed he can go into town and talk to people about Jesus and hand out stuff. What do we struggle with? It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is important. Your faith matters. A good friend of mine's a preacher down in South Carolina. He preached a couple weeks ago about the context was giving. And so he gave this verse from 2 um, Corinthians chapter 9. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
he did a series about like trying to be cheerful and giving. And he said, I stumbled on this verse that I've heard my whole life and I never really heard what it said. It said, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Like, how do we make decisions? For honest. We make decisions right up here, right? My heart may tell me to do something, but my mind says, well, that's not logical. That doesn't make any sense. I don't have any time to do that. I don't have the kind of money to do that. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do, we often listen to the logic of our head. Paul says, listen to your heart. Like Jesus changes our heart. Out of our heart is really where faith is found. What's God calling you to do? What is God calling you to be? Listen to your heart. Trust your heart. Go out on a limb for your heart. I know from experience, right, God calls people to your heart. God calls things to do to your heart. God's calling you to respond, and when you start responding, more things happen, more opportunities arise. But trust your heart. Somebody shared this with me a couple weeks ago that I thought was powerful. Don't let unbelief limit the blessing of God in your life. Don't let negativity Control your life, either from others or, your, or internally. Don't reject what God is calling your heart to do. Trust your heart. Be people of faith. What would Jesus see when he walked into my family? What would Jesus see when he walked into this church? Would he be disappointed at our lack of faith, or would he be amazed that we trust and believe that God is real and God is alive? Finally, we ask the, ask the band to come forward. Finally, the, the question that we have to answer, which started from the beginning, is who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think Jesus is? C.S. Lewis had a quote in Mere Christianity. It says this, I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fold his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to be obvious that he was either neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely as it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and he is God. Now, the Bible says that there's a time coming when every person that's ever lived, Napoleon, Julius Caesar, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Jeffrey Epstein, Nathan Tucky, you, me, we're going to see Jesus and everyone is going to fall on their feet recognizing that he is the God of the universe. 
for some reason, God says, on this side of eternity, it's up to you. Who do you think he is? If you've never accepted Jesus, I'd invite you to make sure that you do that today. We'd love to talk to you about that. love to pray about it. Nobody, there's nothing more important in your life to do. No more important question to answer than who do you think Jesus is? I want Jesus to be at the center of my life. For those of us that already know Jesus, if we're honest, we need to do that same thing every single day. I can't do it. I, I, I struggle with pride. I can't do it by myself. I need Jesus every single day of my life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Wow, just for the power of your word, God, for the power of your spirit. God, we just pray for the presence of your spirit right now in this room. God, we just pray for any or all of us, God, that you've pressed something upon our heart, something that you're calling us to respond to, something you're calling us to do, something you're calling us to reach out to you for. God, we just pray against anything against that. Pray against anything in this room that is negative. Pray that the Spirit of God will work in each one of our lives, even now. God, we acknowledge that you are the Son of God. We acknowledge that you came down and you became one of us and you lived life for us. At the end, you came and you died on the cross for us and you rose again. God, we thank you for the opportunity even now as we walk into this that we can remember what you've done on that cross for us. In your name, amen. You know, the last couple days of Jesus' life, he, he told his disciples, go find a place because we're going to have a meal. That meal ended up being the Last Supper. In that Last Supper, it says that Jesus, when he broke the bread, said, this is my body, broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup as he poured it out. This is my blood that I've given for you. Jesus said, until I come again, I want you that love me to remember me as often as you can. To come and to take the cup and the bread and to remember what I've done for you. Because we have a tendency to forget. This is for anybody that knows Jesus. It has nothing to do with what church you go to, nothing to do with if you're a member or not. This is if you know Jesus as your Savior, I would encourage you to take of the bread and the juice today. At the same time, before we do that, the challenge is like to make sure we come clean. We're sinners. We need to confess our sins. In fact, the Bible even says if you have something against a brother or sister, to go make that right before you do that. So if anybody in this room that has something against somebody in this room, I'd encourage you to get up, go over them, ask their forgiveness, and hug them. In the meantime, for the rest of us, let's spend a minute or two just praying and asking God 
for his forgiveness in our lives. Father, we confess that we are all sinners and we need to be saved desperately by your grace. God, we thank you for the life that you've given, the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. God, we're amazed at, at what you've done for us. We want to worship you. We want to praise you. We want to Remember, in this moment, even now, as we take the bread and the cup together, remember what you've done for us. God, you're an incredibly gracious, loving, caring God. God, we give you the glory. In your name, amen. There's bread and juice. Everyone, just, we all go together. Just grab your stuff and come back. We'll share it. We'll eat it together when you go back to your seats. Again, Jesus, as he took the bread and broke it, said, this is my body that was broken for you. Take and eat together. In the same way, he took the cup. It's my blood that was shed for you. Real bread tastes way better.
Makes me. 
nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood of Jesus. There'll be people over here to pray. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. Encourage you to encourage our brother Henry over here when you see him after the service. God bless you all. Have a great day and a great week.